You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. So today we're continuing on in a series on growing in faith and truth, and it's based on the Gospel of John, and I started it this this past week. And so today is the second message, and we'll be preaching on the Gospel of John all the way up until Easter. And so I'm not able to do every single verse, but we're highlighting certain stories, and so we're going to be going to John chapter 4 today. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand for the reading of the Word, if you would. John chapter 4, and we're just going to be reading verses 3 through 14. Let's begin. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Holy Spirit, as we come today to listen, to learn, to grow, we pray that the word has its effect and change upon us that you desire. You know all the momentums of every person in this room. And regardless of where the momentums are, I pray that the message helps them with what they face, what they're going through, and what they will be addressing in their life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So last week I began this series, and one of the things that I said that I would do is always try to give you some what I call introductory facts or insights about John and especially as it relates to maybe the particular passage that I selected. But one of the things that I always want to highlight is this. Why did John write his gospel when Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already written theirs? We think at this time uh, John is the last remaining living of the uh, original 12 disciples. So with the other three gospel accounts, why did he write what he did? Well, he actually tells us at the end of his book, he says in John chapter 20, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John was now living in a time in Rome where there's a lot of plurality as it relates to religion and gods. And the challenge was this. Helping people who were receiving Jesus not to receive him in the standpoint that they had one more God in their life. They were trying to communicate, no, this is the God, and you need to put all these other gods away. And he's not just a son, meaning a small s, because the Greek gods, remember, they had a lot of, uh, the gods had a lot of sons, and so when they would say son, it was a small s-o-n. And here come the Christians and go, no, 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 he's not, a, he's not S-O-N in all small letters. He's the capital S. He is the son. And that was the challenge that John had. But the other part of that was this. 90% of what he had to say is not found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. I think as a last remaining disciple, one of the original 12, John was saying, man, there's a lot of stories here. 
that need to go beyond my lifespan. Because see, John, while Jesus had 12, he was very close to three. But out of those three, his best friend was John. And we see this in a variety of the gospel accounts that John, if Jesus had a best friend, it would have been John. So John had a lot of interaction and insight that maybe some of the others did not have. And of course, being the last remaining disciple, he's probably wanting to show a side of Jesus that maybe he felt the others had left out. So he writes what he did. Now, how does that relate now as we're getting into this passage? You probably notice I went from John chapter two and I'm jumping over to John chapter four. Yeah, I, I can't preach every verse. It would be a year's sermon, a series. I mean, it would just be going on for a year. So I'm highlighting some verse or some stories. Why did I choose this one? Why did I skip over a lot of passages from John two into John four? Because remember, I gave a word count. There's a lot of things that John says, if you're not careful, you'll parachute your own thoughts rather than taking what he's actually saying. And so here's some helpful facts about today's scripture as we look at this story. Because in the story, he uses the word new or no. And in his gospel, he actually uses that word 83 times. His emphasis is this. You can know that Jesus is the son of God. You don't have to hope. Yes, you can believe but there's another dimension you can actually know who he is. He also uses the word water. And ironically, did you know in his gospel, John uses the word water 27 times? So suddenly some of you went, ooh, I'm gonna go home and study that. Yeah, it's just kind of amazing that you, you can reference water, but he's really using it a lot. And then on top of that, he uses what we hear today. He said living water. He uses that word uh, three times. It's only used four times in the New Testament. And John's the one who really lays into the word that he's not just water, he's the living water. And then further with that is this, the word Samaritan. In the New Testament, it's referenced 13 times. In fact, it even includes the gospel or the book of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, they all record something about the Samaritans. But John, he mentions the Samaritans eight times. Now, why is that? Because I think one of the observations maybe he would have had, this, now this is me parachuting my, my ins, what I think, you know, possibility. If they're all mentioned, why did he feel the necessity to lean into the Samaritan story? I'll give you two reasons. I think he thought the Samaritan, the Samaritan, um, the gospel to the Samaritan, the story was not being totally presented because the other part of this is this. It also shows us for the first time how the gospel got into Samaria. Remember, the first miracle we have is John 2, right? Two chapters later, the gospel is going to Samaria. I think John wants to say, let me tell you, you read about the gospel in Samaria, but I remember how it got started. Because remember in, Luke, in, in John 2, he also shows us from that miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine, it says that's when the disciples started to believe. So he's starting to tell the stories of when he went. That was a pivotal moment. This is when we all went on board. John 4, this is when... The gospel hit Samaria. And it's not what you think it was. It was a woman. Jesus reveals himself to a woman and he knew she would go tell everybody in the village. Don't you, don't you parachute your prejudices onto me. Because also when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he revealed himself first to who? Yeah, I even got the women to say the women on that one. And they went and told the men and the disciples. They didn't believe it. It says they ran to the tomb. How many know 2,000 years later, you still can't convince men? Come on, women, that was your moment right there. 2,000 years later, unless they see it, it doesn't count. Yeah. So John's leaning into, hey, I remember when the gospel first hit Samaria, and I, I can tell you how it happened, I was there. Jesus told me the dialogue that he had with this woman. And I think people need to know how the gospel got to Samaria. And so we're gonna look at this today because here is what I want everybody in this room to recognize today. God wants to use your life 
to take the gospel into the arenas of this culture where people don't know or they have a, totally mis, a total misunderstanding of the gospel. And God wants to use you to get the real deal to them. Because there's a lot of people who have misconceptions about what Christianity is. They have a misconception about, yeah, 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 I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, 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 I need to say. Yeah, you know, you want me to go to church. Yeah, you want me to get. They have this total misconception about all that and even what it entails and why it occurs. They, they are so biased. And God, listen, this Samaritan woman wasn't godless, faithless. She had an understanding. She was misinformed. God wants to use you to get into some arenas of life where people have a misunderstanding of what this is all about. So that's what this message is about today. How about God use you to get the real deal to people? And everybody said amen. amen. So number one, everybody read it out loud. We must recognize God's activity in the, in the had to. You say, what a crazy point is that? What are you talking about? So you go to verses three and four. And it says this, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So Judea's in the south, Galilee's in the north. And it says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now, the problem with when we read that is a lot of things don't translate from the Greek into the English as cleanly as we would like it so that we have an understanding. But I can tell you right now, just by reading that, it shows you, you already have a misunderstanding of the verse. Because you, you and I read it, we go, he had to go through Samaria. We read it like, oh, he didn't have any other way to get there. And that's not true. See, you and I just parachuted something onto the text that we have a misunderstanding about what that means and the words that are being used. He didn't have to go through Samaria because there wasn't any other way. There was another way. It was a popular way. As you go from Judea to Galilee, Judea south, Galilee's north, as you would head up, you had to go through Samaria if you stayed on the west side of the Jordan River. But most Jews would cross over the Jordan River and get on the east bank, and they would walk up the east bank to avoid putting a foot in Samaria because they were so holy they didn't even want the dirt of Samaria on their shoes. Problem is, it would add about 12 to 15 miles to their walk. But hey, legalism will get you to do things you would normally not do. And they walk around and then they would re-enter Galilee. That was the normative path. Now, to show you the hypocrisy of legalism, on the other side of the Jordan River were pagans. But the pagans weren't as bad as the Samaritans. So it was okay to get pagan dirt on your feet. You just didn't want to get Samaritan dirt. Samaritan dirt was the worst dirt of all. How many know legalism's got it all figured out? They even, legalism even rates sinners. So when it says that Jesus had to, you got to go into the wording, and it, it's, it's a word that speaks to fulfilling a mission given by God. It's talking about what I call a divine urge. I have got to do that. I must. It's another way that the word can be translated. I must, I need to. Can you think back when you've had a time when you, went, you did something and when inquired about why, you go, I have to. Maybe it was a friend that was in crisis, maybe a medical condition, and you said, I need to go to the, I gotta go see him. And, and maybe the people around you go, I didn't know you were that close of a friend. You go, I'm not, but I need to go. I need to go visit them. I need to go to their house. I need to see them. But you're acting like you're their best friend. I'm not. Then why do you want to do it? I don't know. I just need to. And maybe, maybe somebody in the family passes away. And as a friend, their friend, your friend has somebody pass away and you go, I need to go to the funeral. I'm going to take a half day off from work to go to the funeral. And people go, oh, I didn't know you knew him that well. I don't. Well, then why are you doing it? I don't know. Just think I ought to be there. Everybody in this room has had the had to or the must moment. You just, you, you couldn't explain. You just needed to. And you couldn't, you, you tried dismissing it and you couldn't. So you, you did it. 
And that's why I'd say, he all, this word can also be translated as must. If you go into the rest of the Gospel of John, I'm going to go outside this text, he uses it 17 times. And he's showing this divine urge to do things. He said, we must be born again. We must, uh, he said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Well, why? Because he has to. We must worship in, in, in the Spirit and in truth. We must do the works of him who sent me. We must follow. It's just that you got to. Well, give me the reason. It's like you say to your kids, take the trash out. Why? Because I said. <laughs> well, I need deeper meaning. You live here. You're a renter. I own. <laughs> and most of it's your trash anyway. <laughs> you know, it's just, listen, we all have that had to, must moments in our life, and you will continue to have them. Unfortunately, we, we sometimes fail to understand those are God moments. He's pushing us. He's nudging us. And you're right. You don't have the words to describe why. You just know. And Jesus said he had to go to Samaria. Not because there wasn't another route. He just knew he had to go. And that takes us to the second point. Everybody read it out loud. God uses... God uses our needs to position us. So it says, so he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, now notice, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, it was about noon. So there's a little backdrop going on here. Number one, Jesus is actually traveling at a very weird time. You generally didn't travel in the middle of the day because in that particular part of the world, it's extremely hot. So you had a tendency to do the travels in the morning, try to find some place, you know, mid-noon around then, usually about 11 o'clock. You're looking for shade, looking for a place to stop till the sun, the intensity calms down, and then you would resume your travels in the evening until the sun set. So Jesus is actually kind of traveling at a weird time. And it says, he's, and by the way, the woman, she shows up at noon, Right? So here's what you need to know about, see, I'm, I'm, this is all free stuff. Everybody good? Okay. If you're waiting for a point, I don't know what it'll be, but it just, it's interesting to me. <laughs> so this woman shows up at noon. So usually drew water in the morning or you drew water in the evening. She's showing up at noon, which means she's a woman who has community issues and she knows not to show up with everybody. She's trying to be invisible while public. She knows that nobody draws water at noon and it's safe. Here's the other part. Unpacking the location, you know, Samaria and all this kind of stuff and where the well is and it's Jacob's well and they actually kind of know where that well is located today. It was actually a half mile out of the city where she was living. So she didn't even, at noon, she didn't even bother to go to the wells in her own city because she knew she was exposed publicly. So she leaves and walks a half mile in the dead heat of day to get water to stay off the radar while being in public. And then after gathering that water, she's gonna walk a half mile back. And I just say that, do you know there's a lot of people in our community who try to stay invisible? And they're not up to nefarious activity. They just, they just wanna stay invisible. But they know they've gotta go in public. And so they, do things that you and I do, but they do them at odd hours because the whole idea is I need, while I have to go in public, I wanna be invisible. I don't want people to see me. And it could be for a lot of reasons that they've made bad decisions, bad choices out of their life. They're not avoiding the law or any, yeah, I'm sure there's some who are avoiding law and things like that in order, but there are some people whose lives have just reached that threshold that they go, I can't look anybody in the eye anymore because they know too much about all the errors of my life. And so I just, I need, I need to be invisible. And here's the problem. Jesus shows up. I love this story because it shows us that Jesus knows where all the invisible people are. Even the invisible, listen, even the invisible people who come to the bridge because it's big, that way they can sit in a seat and nobody knows who they are. <laughs> There's a safe church. I can go sit in the, in the 10th row and I can sit in the back. Nobody will speak to me. You might be right. 
But you got a problem. Jesus is talking to you now. How do you plan on closing his voice out? He knows who you are and he knows your desire to be invisible. And he says, I want to talk to you anyway. I know your name. I know your motive. I know your momentum in life. I know where you're headed. And he wants to change it. All right, now I'll get back to the message. So how does Jesus find her? God uses Jesus's need for water. He puts him at a well and he doesn't have anything to draw the water. And Jesus is waiting while the disciples are in town buying food and it's 12 noon and he's sitting outside and he's been traveling all day. He's thirsty. You would be surprised how God uses your needs to get you to places to talk to people because if it wasn't for the need, you wouldn't see him and you wouldn't talk to him. Now, I want to tell God, yeah, but every time I have a need, it costs me money. You know, can't we have these divine appointments so they're not so expensive? And the answer is no, because we don't listen that well. So God orchestrates the events of our life and he creates needs and then we have to pick up the phone or we have to do a search and then we have to go somewhere to get our needs met because we have something that needs done, okay? And that puts us in touch with people that we would never speak with. See, sometimes God breaks your car down and then it has to be towed to a garage and you get the joy of sitting in the waiting room for three hours because he has people he's gonna be bringing through because he wants you to talk to them. And you go, I don't wanna talk to them. And he says, well, we can make you stay five. I'll make the part unavailable. (laughs) If three hours won't cause you to bring down your walls and have a conversation, we'll make you stay there five. Can't get the part in time. See, we need to start recognizing God uses our daily needs to get us in touch with people. It's not always about me getting my stuff. Start seeing life from a different angle. See, sometimes God puts us in positions where we only have one option because he knew if we had two, you'd pick wrong. And God says, I just love you too much, so why don't I just, I'm just gonna put you in a spot where you only got option one. And you go, God, isn't there anything more I can do? And he goes, no, I just gave you the one I wanted you to have, and I knew that if I gave you two, you'd choose the other one. So I'm giving you the one and the one only that I want you to do, now go for it. God uses our needs to meet other people's needs. So what happened. Number three, read it out loud. Genuine conversation is the gateway to to genuine transparency. You know, there's a lot of ways Jesus could have led into the conversation. Hello, I'm God's son. You should see what I just did in Cana at a wedding. You know, I mean, look at this. When When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritan. Do you notice it is a total, genuine conversation about the topic that's in front of them. Nobody's being manipulative. Nobody's working a hidden agenda. You know, see, it's just, it's a normal conversation. Jesus builds a legitimate bridge to have a conversation with her. I'm I'm here at the well because I'm thirsty. It's noon, traveled. And she says, yeah, you don't have anything to draw anything from the well. Yes, I I need, would you, and give me a drink. And she says, hey, uh, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. We all know the custom around here. Why are you doing this? It's a straight up conversation. In reaching people, let me, I might, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ding us as Christians. Is that all right if I ding us? If we're not careful, we can become the most disingenuine people in befriending other people because we're not befriending them because we care. We're befriending because we have an agenda. Come on, tell me you get that. 
Like in other words, I'm just doing this so I can present the gospel. And if they accept it, then they're my friend. But if they don't accept it, then they're not my friend anymore. So you're actually engaged in a disingenuine conversation because in the end, this is about selling something to somebody. Yeah, I don't think that's what love is. Love is this. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you my, my faith, my life, who I am. But guess what? You're stuck with me as a friend. You're stuck with me. Even if you don't like me. You know, I have people who don't like me. Unfathomable. Yeah. I know, you're shocked too, right? A while back I had somebody who, who, you know, I don't always walk in the room and go, hey, I'm Pastor Greg. You know, I, I just introduce myself like anybody else. And then eventually you go, I just figured out who you are. And I go, who am I? <laughs> and the conversation with uh, this lady, she said, I can't believe you push that conversion therapy on people like that. It's manipulative, it's hurtful, it's harmful. I said, conversion therapy. She goes, yeah, you're just, you're pushing conversion of your therapy. You, and I said, do, do, you, do you send your kids to school? Yes. Do you expect them to learn English? Yes. Do you push them to learn math? Yes. You're employing conversion therapy all day on your kids. <laughs> I said, we all do it. We are created with the ability to be changed. That's one of the things that makes us human. I can believe something today and be presented with facts and knowledge and accept it and believe different tomorrow. If we can't do that, nobody should go to school anymore. And I, I, I shared that with her, I said, I hear you. She goes, well, I just, I just don't believe in what you do. And I said, well, you got a problem. She goes, what's that? I said, you're stuck with me as a friend. When I see you on the street, I'll always say, hey, if I can get you to slow down, I'm always gonna ask you how you're doing. And if, I'm gonna ask you if there's any new development. I say, listen, this is, not, this is not a friendship based on as long as you agree with me, okay? Then that makes what I do disingenuine. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not say, if you'll, if you'll get your act together, I'll die for you. How many know that means he still wouldn't have died? Instead, while, Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we rejected it, even though we hadn't come to our senses, he said, this is love. I'm still gonna die for your sins. I'm still gonna love you. Yeah, Jesus has a straight up conversation with her. Now listen, that conversation evolves, and I want you to see how it evolves. But Jesus' engagement with her was a legitimate, by the way, Jesus is a single guy, or single guy, single guy. This woman is single, okay? And you notice Jesus is smart enough, keep this meeting in the public eye. Sometimes our greatest accountability is to make sure if we have to meet with somebody that we keep it public. That's one of the ways we guard ourselves. Come on, tell me you get this, really? Yeah, the public eye. So Jesus was actually using people that weren't even followers to be a witness that he was appropriate and that she was appropriate. Okay, number four, read it out loud. We need the gifts of the Spirit in our interactions. So he told her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. How crazy is this? Oftentimes, the people who aren't followers of Christ believe in miracles more than the people who are followers of Christ. Look how quickly she's willing to go, you're a prophet. And she is willing to recognize that that was a prophetic word that Jesus had. She immediately went, she's not even a follower, but she immediately recognizes something supernatural. I don't know what it is, but somehow it is, if we're not careful, the more we serve Christ, the less we believe in the miraculous. 
I don't know why that is. But so many people who aren't even followers of Christ still will adhere. I think God does, I think God does miracles. I think he does big stuff. I, I believe in those things. And, and then us mature Christians come around and we stamp out that little ember. Well, God doesn't do that stuff anymore. Oh, oh, well, you're the experienced one. Excuse me. And so we squelch that hope, that faith that God does the miraculous. We need, to be, we need to understand that in our daily interactions, by being who we are, the gifts of the Spirit can flow. In conversation, you can say something to somebody, and they'll go, I never thought of that. That's a word of wisdom. You say something, and they go, how did you know that? That's great. That's, that's a word of knowledge. Or you say, hey, you, you might want to exercise a little more caution because this could turn into this. And they go, you know, I never thought of that. That's discernment. We need to be understanding that the gifts of the Spirit don't always start with, now thus saith the Lord. You've already lost them. That's a language they don't speak and they don't get it. We don't have to preface holy moments like that. It's this is why Paul talks about walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, right? It's just, it becomes a part of who you are. And you're, you're not even using the Christianese language. You're just talking. And the other person is having an aha moment. I've shared this before, but a while back I was coaching a businessman who didn't go to church. I don't even think, he, or he, he didn't go to here. He wasn't connected to church. His faith wasn't there. He said, listen, I know you can help me uh, in, in some personal development. Look, he goes, I know who you are, and I'm not coming to you for that. <laughs> okay. He said, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on this development thing. I said, I got to help you. And as we progressed, one day he popped the door in conversation and I was the one who hit the brakes. I said to him, hey, 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 you told me that was off limits. Are you changing the dynamics of the conversation? He goes, yeah, 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 you've earned my trust. I said, okay. well, that's good. I said, well, so we had a conversation about little, some elements of faith. And then another day he was opening out about some other things and I said, hey, just a second, I said, you know, you're, you're opening some doors here that you told me to stay away from, and I want to honor that. I don't ever want you to walk away and say, I broke my word. But I said, I sense something that I would like to say, but I need your permission to say it. And it's out of the vein of what the initial conversation was. He said, absolutely, you've earned my trust, say it. So I just looked at the table, said what I said, and I noticed his body language had shut down. I thought, oh man, this is not going good. I looked up, there were tears running down his face. And this is what he did. We're sitting at Panera, my other office. <laughs> he hit the table like this. How did you know that I've never gone there? I didn't say anything about thus saith the Lord. I just said, I sense this. And I said, permission to expand on what you just said. He said, please do. And I said, you know what? I believe God talks to people. We get divine urges. And as you were sharing, I got that divine urge. But I also understood it was given to me, not to you. And I needed you to grant me the permission to say that. It was not me to force that on you. You needed it. And if you would have said no, I would have held it but you're receptive. And it was through that he got re-engaged with his family, got re-engaged in his faith. He, you know, he didn't make the bridge his church home. <laughs> but listen, the kingdom of God is bigger than this church. The point is, he's engaged with his family. He's, he's doing well in his business world. He's engaged in his faith again. And I just say that. I, I never once said to him, and God would say to you, it was just conversation, but he recognized that was a divine moment. God just wants to use your conversation to change somebody's trajectory. You, you need to be aware that the gifts of the Spirit are designed to flow through you, 
and how they work. Yeah, it's, it's real easy when you're sitting at a table and the Bible's open and you're talking about scripture. Those are real easy moments, you know, to, oh, easy. But I'm just talking about just daily. Inter- there was no Bible. There was no prayer moment. It was just a conversation between Jesus and a woman. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit start flowing. God wants you to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. Everybody said amen. amen. Number five, read it out loud. We must, we must address their questions. Now, G, now I just said, he, he, Jesus just said to her, yeah, you're right because you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not. So what's her response? You're a prophet. Now, how many know where the conversation needs to go there? This is about her. She needs to stay, you know, Jesus has gotten into her private world here, right? So what does she do? Hey, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. What has that got to do with the conversation that just happened? She changes the subject completely. You're a prophet. Boom. She is off the topic about her private life, and she now goes to, why does God allow so much suffering? You know, that's what, that's what people do in our culture. When you get too close to them, well, explain all the pain and the suffering in the world and world hunger and why God doesn't solve it. You know, it's a, way, it's a deflection. I don't want to talk about my private world. I don't want to talk about my private life, and I don't want you meddling it. And so they throw up something. It's a wall. Immediately, she makes a hard pivot. What does Jesus do? Woman, that's just nothing but a diversionary tactic. To your, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. You need to get back to what we were, you know, he, he doesn't go there. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. The time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit. That bothers some Baptist people. (laughs) And Presbyterians and Methodists. Okay. And in truth, now see, that's where, that's, that's where some of those people get excited. Truth, you know. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So that's her question. So he answers it. You know how many times I've had a relationship, conversation with somebody, And I can see the journey of their spiritual walk and it's going in a particular direction. And it's hard not to be able to anticipate what might be coming. And so, you know, I have all the questions mapped out that they need to ask me and I have all the answers ready to go. And then I get with, and you know what? They don't even ask the questions that I showed up prepared for. (laughs) And you just want to go, excuse me, you're asking the wrong questions. You see, I, I have the questions that you should be asking and I'm going to give you the questions. And so, you know, because I have the answers, but I can't give you the answers unless you have questions. Here are questions. That's not how this works. You don't script people. You let them ask the questions from their heart, not the questions you think they should be asking. If we're not careful we, listen to me, we will become manipulative because we have a desired path and outcome that we want as a Christian and we're supposed to be inquiring of their questions and answering what they're asking. They are not gonna be one to Christ by me feeding them questions, I'm going to win them to Christ by answering their questions. Even if I just think it is completely irrelevant, and what does that have to do with the conversation? Lady, you've had five husbands, you're living with your, the sixth guy, and you wanna know about which mountain? 
Look, you need to get your personal life together. Okay? That wasn't her question. I think sometimes the world is right to judge us for being disingenuine at times because we sometimes do show up with an agenda that's more important than the person we're speaking with. We need to love people legitimately. You're my friend, but I don't like your faith. That's all right. You'll get used to me and I'll get used to you. See, the, the, you, you don't tell somebody you love them on the first date. Hopefully you don't. Because that's, listen to me, and I say this gracefully, that's not an intelligent love. You don't even know what you're saying, I love you. You, you don't even know what you're saying that to. It's as you get to know each other, day after day, week after week, month after month, maybe even after a year or two, and you finally say those words. And now, now you're saying, I know your flaws, I know your failures, I know your successes, I know your strengths, and even with everything that I know, I love you. It's an intelligent love. It's actually a love that's more valuable because now they're saying I love you based on they know a lot. Whereas when you just say it on the first date, you don't even know what you're, you don't, you don't even know who you're talking to. You don't even know the preferences, you don't know the likes, you don't know the dis, you don't know. So it's just sort of a, a statement that just doesn't carry much weight. But you, you let somebody know all the business about you and they look at you and say, that's all right. I still love you anyway. That means something. That's what makes Christ's love so powerful. He knows everything about you and me. And he says, that's all right. I still love you. Last point, everybody say this out loud. We must expect Jesus to be revealed. The woman said, I know that Messiah. No, that, that is how she said it. She doesn't say the Messiah. She, knows, she says, I know that Messiah. Called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. In these conversations with, with people, expect Jesus to show up. As you talk, as you befriend, as you reach them, expect Jesus to show up. Sometimes it happens when you're there. Other times they come back and they go, you know, I was thinking about it last night and I finally get what you're saying. The aha moment, Jesus shows up. You say, they'll say I was in a situation and I remember telling you telling me I needed to pray. And I just said, help me, Jesus. Do you know I actually felt something when I say that? I go, really? Yeah. Expect Jesus to show up. I'm not trying to impress them with me, with you, with anything. Listen, I just want them to know Jesus is real. And he doesn't just show up at Sunday morning at the Bridge Community Church. He shows up in life, in the school, at the job, at the house on the street, where we work, where we shop, where we have our fun. Jesus reveals himself. And some of you this morning, you're having a revelation right now. You know today's the day that you need to get your act together. People have talked to you, you invite, they invited you here today. You go, they tell you I was here? No, they didn't tell me you were here. Then how come you know so much? You'd be surprised how much you're hearing from the Holy Spirit in your head and how little you're actually hearing with your ears. It's because you got a conversation going on in your head and your heart. And his name is Jesus. 
and he's talking to you. And you need to respond. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's everybody stand as we wrap up the service this morning. Would you do that? Hey, can, you, can we just take a minute? You lift your hands. I want to pray. I want you praise him for being a God who shows up in life. Your life, other people. Come on, thank him. 30 seconds, man. Let's praise him for a second here. Hallelujah. You know, with heads bowed, I'm gonna ask no one to look around. This is a pivotal moment for some folks. I wanna give an opportunity for people to accept Jesus. And it's not my intent to do this in a way that brings unwanted attention, any type of embarrassment. I just simply wanna give you an opportunity to accept Jesus. Listen, I know the ushers told me there's people out in the lobby watching on TV and in the cafe, and I'm speaking to you as well. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to hear me. In just a second, I'm going to lead everybody in a prayer. But before I do that, I would like to know, is there people going to be asking Christ in their life? And again, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you, but before I do that, you'd say, Pastor, as you do this, I'll be leading Christ, asking Christ in my life. I'm going to ask you in just a second to lift your hand. When I see it, this is what I'll say. I see your hand. That's what I'll say. I see your hand. And that means you can put it down. And after a time of what I think is an adequate time to respond, I'm going to lead everybody in a prayer. Why am I doing everybody? Because let me tell you, you're in a congregation who wants to be a part of what's happening in your life today. They want to say it with you. You say, today's the day I'm going to be asking Christ into my life. If that's you, can I see your hand? Yes. Others? You say, yep. Okay. Say, today's the day I'm asking Christ into my life. Anybody else? Yep. I see your hand. Thank you. Others? Come on, everybody together, say it out loud. Dear Jesus, I come to you. Today is the day I take responsibility for my life. I do not blame anybody else. Jesus, forgive me. Come, become my Savior and Lord. I receive you today. I start my relational journey with you today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. Come on. Now, for those who accepted Christ, listen, I'm going to give you two really critical things for you to do. When you leave the building, right by the doors, as you head outside, there are bags that say, follow Jesus. Please take one of those, okay? We put it there to help you. The second thing is this. You probably came with somebody, a family member or a friend. What you just did is a big deal. You need to tell them. And you say, well, how do I do that? In just a minute, we're gonna say, you know, God bless you, have a great day. And there, there are people are gonna be turning around like, hey, you ready to go? You need to know how to hijack a conversation. You know, here's how you hijack a conversation. You know, there's Bill Weiser. You know, hijack means Bill says, hey, you ready to go? Yes, Bill, I need to hold Bill. I need to tell you something. What? I accepted Jesus today. Now, I gotta warn you, you're in a huggy church. Because you're gonna say, well, I don't know the person standing next to me. You tell them you accepted Jesus, trust me, you're going to know them. Because I know the people of this church just aren't going to turn around and walk away. They're going to say, that's awesome. What's your name? They're going to, listen, they want to celebrate what just happened in your life. Am I right, congregation? Amen. I'm going to ask the connection group leaders, some of the church leadership, would you guys make your way to the front? We're going to sing a chorus. I know in a congregation like this, there's always needs of all types, whether for yourself or for somebody else. We want to give you an opportunity to make your way forward first before everybody heads out for you to come and receive prayer. So some of those leaders would come, and as Pastor Malik leads, if you have a need, make your way, and then I'm going to dismiss everybody. But come on, let's sing it now. My song will be the same. You know Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me.
Come on, everybody, lift your hands. I'll say the blessing and we go. And if you'd still like to make your way forward as people are leaving, they'll stay a while. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church, in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. Prosperity, opening up the heavens, the store of his bounty. May he bless the works of your hand. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen, the Lord bless you, have a great day. Change everything.